We open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, and we're looking at three verses this evening, verses 12 through 14. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. And just like this morning, we're not having a topical sermon, we're having an, an exegetical sermon, meaning verse by verse through the chapters. Um, and uh, this is returning to Philippians again after uh, since January. So thanks again for your patience. And uh, after I read the verses, I'll give you a quick review. Uh, but we're getting back to Philippians, and uh, in this scripture tonight, God is calling us to run, to ever be running forward and forgetting what's behind so that we may towards the prize of Christ. Hear now the word of the Lord, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let me give you a, a, a little bit of a review of Philippians. It's not as structured as Deuteronomy when I gave you the review this morning, but I, I want to give you just a general sense of where we've been since it's been a while since we've been in Philippians. Uh, first chapter one, there's a lot of rejoicing uh, in the fellowship that uh, the Philippians are partaking in with Paul in suffering. A lot of rejoicing and suffering because that suffering is spreading the gospel of salvation. There's a lot of a sense of being able to handle difficult things, to live for Christ, to die is gain. There's a lot of very well-known verses. But it's generally the idea of, of suffering and serving a mutual service to Christ. And really, Philippians is a thank you letter for a gift. Epaphrodites has come and... Uh, uh, brought things and brought word of how things are going, but he had a delay. He almost died. Paul talks about how horrible that would have been for him and his need for him. And uh, so he's sending Epaphrodites back ahead of Timothy, whom he also helps to send before he sends himself. But right now, Paul's in prison, remember. He's writing as a prisoner in Rome. He's going to be chained literally 24 hours a day to whoever the uh, Roman soldier is. But in that context, in the context of where he is more broadly, the Lord is giving him an amazing influence. And the gospel's getting in places it wouldn't otherwise. So he rejoices in that. And he rejoices in the Philippians constantly participating in his ministry. And he thanks them for the gift of support. Chapter 2, uh, the thing that I think we particularly recall is the, the model of Christ's selflessness and humility that bring unity to his body, the church, and that we should have the same mind as Christ. We should follow Christ's example to be humble because it's our humility that brings unity. And after all, it's his body. He's the head. And then he says, I'm sending Timothy and Epaphrodites to you uh, because they are examples to follow as, as I am an example to follow in following Christ. They are selfless. They sacrifice for others. And Paul even says, I don't have him any like them. Uh, 
chapter 3, so far, uh, there's been a, a transition into some important theology, some really important theology that is almost a summary of the book of Romans. It's a call not to follow Judaizers and trust in your own good works, but only to trust in Christ's good work on behalf of making us righteous before God. That being said, that we count our own righteousness as dung. You remember, it's pretty graphic and strong. To instead be reckoned righteous in Christ alone. Yet, we have not arrived to the end of our run for Christ. We are still to gain ground in our pilgrim's progress toward perfect purity in Christ. He first, in this chapter, argued against legalism. Now he counters and qualifies to argue against perfectionism on the one hand and antinomianism on the other. That is, thinking we're perfect, we don't have to bother anymore. Or antinomianism, the law isn't significant anymore. We don't have to care about how we live because Christ done it all for us. He doesn't want them to make that mistake and overreact. And uh, that can often be the problem. One thing is said and then everybody kind of reacts Oh, okay, well, then this doesn't matter. No, the other thing matters, too. Our works don't save us, but our works are very important to company salvation. You can think of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, that we often quote. Paul is concerned that losing all in Christ will be wrongly interpreted to not bother to strive for winning all things for Christ. So he's qualifying his earlier statement. In this chapter, Dennis Johnson shares it's, it's like this. As Paul rested in a righteousness, righteousness not his own, the surprising result was that his assurance became a stimulant, not a sedative, to his passion to follow God's will and further God's glory. Through Christ... Excuse me, though Christ has saved and sanctified Christians, they are not yet perfect and must persevere in sanctified progress until they cross the finish line of being completely holy like Jesus, and that's at the resurrection. But on the way to that point, we should be striving after more and more of it, closer and closer to Jesus, more and more like him every day, more and more like we're going to be in our perfection. That's the main point of the text I give to you. Though Christ has saved and sanctified Christians, they are not yet perfect and must persevere in sanctified progress until they cross the finish line of being completely holy like Jesus. And that idea of crossing the finish line is a lot of the the imagery and the things that Paul is drawing on tonight, this idea of running a race and winning the race, which he uses that kind of imagery in a lot of his scriptures, which I appreciate because I, uh, I often can't help but do that with my favorite sport. He seems to enjoy run, the running, the race. He, he gets it and how it applies as a perfect illustration. We have to keep growing, progressing in our holiness. We can't let the fact that Christ has made us positionally holy keep us from progressing in that identity of holiness. Today is Reformation Sunday. We want to remember that the Reformation is never over. In fact, there's always a need for more and more Reformation. Remember the phrase semper reformanda means always reforming. Always reforming means getting back to more and more biblical doctrine and practice and living it out better and better. We're never done. 
because we've been blessed to understand the doctrines of grace doesn't mean we don't want to study and know them better and apply them better and reach out to others better with these things. Always pursuing perfection. Striving to be more sanctified because of Jesus and for Jesus. Strive, beloved. Strive after total sanctification in your Savior. I give that to you as the main application, the message for this, these verses tonight. Strive after total sanctification for your Savior. Do not dwell on past successes that will slow you down, slow down your race toward the future. This is the first main thing that Paul's talking about. Do not dwell on your past successes, which will slow down your race toward the future. Runner in a race is the imagery, again, he's giving to us. A runner in a race doesn't look behind. Have you ever noticed? I can have one in my head. I, I can't recall, but a runner kind of started to slow down. He think he already ran, kind of looks back a little bit. He doesn't recognize that there's another guy pursuing him more who gets ahead of him and wins at the last minute. And that's what Paul's warning is about. Don't be looking behind to see where you've been. Don't be looking behind to see, let's say it's a marathon, the last mile marker you've made it to. Be focusing on the finish line and only the finish line. Otherwise, it'll slow you down, keep you from running straight and fast. Those winning, uh, though though they are winning, they haven't yet won. That's the idea. They're winning, but they haven't yet won. Now, I can't help but think about my favorite sports team. If Paul's allowed, I'm going to take that liberty again. I won't get into particulars. Uh, but uh, the team, before they started the season, was chosen to win the big championship. And as they go every week, they're pretty much looking like it. I mean, most people are saying there's nobody as good, nobody's going to beat them in the end. And they've already beaten a lot of really big um, uh, teams and, and really very difficult to beat and have lost to them in the past. And what will happen is after they win, you know, the people interviewing them always want to get them to brag and always want them to act like they've already won everything. And they've been trained so well by their coach, they said it was one game. Wasn't this the most important game of the season? It was because it was the next one. Now the next game next week is the most important game of the season. We're not thinking about playoffs. We're not thinking about anything else. We've done that before, and it's messed it up, right? You don't have it till you have it. You're not there until you're there. And so they've been trained. We have a 24-hour rule. Now, this applies good when you lose. Don't let it get to you more than 24 hours. But the other thing is, you got 24 hours to celebrate, and then we're on to the next game. And that's the only way we're going to win enough and get far enough to win the big one. To act like their last win guarantees anything, or to act like they have already won it all, will be their downfall. Thus, they keep striving each game, and they keep winning, yet they never pretend they've already won everything. It's just not the way you're going to be a champion. In verse 12, he says, and I'm giving you kind of my wooden, literal kind of translations in order anyways of words. I've not reached already, neither already finished or made perfect. I haven't reached the goal yet. I'm not done running. I've been made part of Christ's team, but I'm not at the finish line yet. Verse 13, I don't count myself having reached, 
but forgetting things behind. This is an important idea that we're looking at right now. And forgetting things that behind, because I haven't reached it yet. Here, he's not talking about forgetting sins. It's not that that's not relevant. It's not that that's also important. You can be dragged down by guilt and regret and never look forward. But he's not talking about that here. What's he talking about? He's talking about past successes. He's talking about past improvements and victories. He says, I'm not going to think about that anymore. It's time to move forward. I'm not going to sit on a chair and talk about the good old days. I want to get to the eternal good days. I want to get better and better. Dennis Johnson writes this. He is not distracted by the trophies of the past. Charles R. Erdman writes, There are some persons who allow their moral and spiritual progress to be hindered by the burdens of memory. Nothing is more dangerous for a runner than to look behind. He is certain to trip or to lose his stride to lose speed, possibly to lose courage. One evidence of spiritual immaturity is the claim of spiritual perfection. Gordon Clark kind of speaks to an example of that. You can't say you've perfected until the resurrection because a sinless person, he says, could not pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive me my debts, right? Lead me not into temptation. What's the point of praying that if there's no danger of those things? As if you've already gotten there. We won't pray that in heaven, obviously, but until then we will. So there there can't be any perfect Christian. There's a need to always be looking forward. Paul spoke of how Christ has done all and he does nothing towards salvation. Most recently in verses 1 through 11 of our text. A little bit of transition here in verse 11. I haven't haven't, uh, attained the resurrection yet. But he's spoken about how Christ has done everything for him. And he especially argues against works-based salvation. But he doesn't want us to think that he or, or we are done with our race of righteousness. Our individual heats and our uh, team races with batons. We're not done. He wants to guard against a perfectionist. William Hendrickson says... Paul is sure that he has not yet been made perfect. In principle, yes. But in full measure, no. So he, as a runner in a race, Hendrickson says, practices persistent concentration. In everyday life distractions are often disastrous. We look back, even on, oh, I did, I did good for my morning devotion, and then we can plummet with pride before lunch. Don't look back and start patting yourself on the back. Keep your arms running, is the idea. Because God is working in us, chapter 2, verse 13, and thus he will finish it in us, chapter 1, verse 6. His race includes his teammates also to be complete. He's concerned not about his own race only, but finishing with his brethren. Look at chapter 2, verse 16. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. That my ministry wasn't in vain, but I'm seeing you cross the line too. 
Luke 9, 62, and Jesus said unto them, excuse me, and Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now there is that idea of remember Lot's wife, and I think that's probably a little more in the negative idea there, but if we want to keep looking back at our own uh, successes as if we're good now and we can rest and keep, take it easy. You're not fit for the kingdom of God like that. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. I want to finish my course. I'm not done. Hebrews 6 verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. We should be making progress, building on the foundation. Isaiah 43, 18-19 was preached a while ago for you, but it is something, I think, to encourage us on this race. You might say from Christ our coach, so to speak. Isaiah 43, 18-19, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. But what he says at the beginning is, remember not the former things. He's not talking about sins. He's not talking at this point so much about uh, the backsliding and the need to be disciplined. He's saying, you're regretting you're not where you were before, and it was glorious. It's going to be more glorious. As you repent and get restored, it's going to be even more glorious. The old things were great, but I'm going to do a new thing that's even more important, even more glorious in Christ, making you the actual temple of the Holy Spirit. Thus, we don't linger on past victories, but limber up for our next contest. Always expecting it, always getting ready for it. Henry E. Anderson writes, The Christian life demands persistent moral effort. There must be no standing still, no stagnation. I mean, does the TV stay on when the game's over? You know, or if, let's say, half the team quits and they have to postpone the game, does it stay on the air? Nobody wants to watch that, right? Keep racing ahead until you are finished with the race. Do not dwell on past successes that will slow down your race to the future. Keep racing ahead until you are finished with the race. Runners always are straining ahead to win. You ever watch a race, you know, especially the Olympics, any foot race? It's incredible, right? The effort that's put in. I mean, especially how do they try to finish to make sure they went ahead of someone else? They're always leaning forward, right, with their chest just to try to get ahead. Just a little if that's all it takes to win. They give all they can to get there first. And Paul is drawing on the Greek Olympic kind of an idea, the, the races of the, of the Greek uh, uh, competitions. Think about a, a runner trying to get to the end, racing to the I mean, they're not looking back and slowing down. They are really trying hard to get to the end. Every muscle is bulging, as are the veins in their neck. 
as they breathe heavy through their lips. And once they cross the finish line, they have to take a little while to slow down. They've been running so hard, and they might at some point collapse for a moment for all the effort. This is what Paul's calling you to, that kind of effort in holiness. That kind of growing in sanctification to be more and more like Jesus as you get closer and closer to Jesus, who is the resurrection. Keeping in mind, he's talking about attaining the resurrection. Verse 12, he says, I follow. In the Greek, it is pursue. It's a stronger idea. If even I may apprehend that for which I have already been apprehended. Jesus already grasped him, so he's called to grasp ahead, strive after In verse 13, reaching out could be stretching forth. You know, know, reaching out can be like, oh, you know, I kind of joke. Mommy asked me to turn the light off last night, and I said, I can't. My arms aren't as long as yours. That wasn't really striving or stretching out, you know. I I did get up and turn the light off, but, you know, it isn't that kind of, okay, you know, I'll get up at some point. No, it's getting up. I'm going to be the first one. Verse 14, I press toward. That is, straining to pursue down. Straining to pursue down. What does that mean, down? The, the weak, excuse me, the word of uh, when you're pressing forward, uh, pressing is the one word, uh, straining. But straining toward, toward has the idea of down. Kenneth West explains. He wants to catch hold of it and pull it down. Get control, own it. Like a football player who not only wants to catch his man, but wants to pull him down and make him his own. The idea of bearing down upon. I'm going to go and I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I'm not going to let anybody take it from me. Charles Erdman says, Paul compares himself with an athlete who was stripped for the contest and straining every nerve to win the prize. It pictures the runner in a final agony of effort to win the race. He goes on to say, he is agonizing in an effort for daily progress. After all, if you're not making daily progress lap after lap, you're not going to win. You're not going to get there, or you're not going to get there as fast. Gordon Clark says, the race is the process of sanctification. And Paul's call is for him and the Philippians to put in the work of growth. As J.M. Boyce says, discipleship is costly. It costs a person his all. And then he quotes Dr. Livingston, I presume the great missionary in Africa, who said this, I am ready to go anywhere, provided it is forward. Chapter 2, verse 12, because of verse 13, it's God working in us. Verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Get busy at work. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, where is Jesus? 
certainly ahead of us in the sense of getting to a closer walk with him, a closer run with him, a closer relationship and reflection of him. But he's from above. So there's a sense of lifting up our eyes because our race is the finish line is not on earth, it's in heaven. Psalm 34, verse 14. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That's the way Christians have to think more about how we're to grow in Christ. Pursuing, striving, straining to acquire these things. That we acquire a more uh, perfect Christ-likeness. In verse 12, Kenneth West says the idea of perfect means spiritual maturity. Being spiritually mature. Frank Thielman concurs and says the idea of perfection is maturity and thus maturing. Let nothing stop you from getting closer and closer to Christ in your life. Do not dwell on past successes that will slow down your race toward the future. Keep racing ahead until you are finished with the race. And let nothing stop you from getting closer and closer to Christ in your life. Racing across the finish line is exhilarating. Receiving the prize on the podium is incredibly satisfying for all the hard work. And as part of an Olympic team, on behalf of your nation especially so, Your training, your running, your finishing is all a glorious expression of who you are in Christ and being part of Christ's kingdom. The glory and honor of representing him and giving your all to bring honor to your country, the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Verse 12, that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. I want to apprehend, I want to get it, because Christ has apprehended me. You see, it's not that I apprehend Christ in the sense of earning anything, but it's because Christ has already apprehended me. I am off now, off to the races to be more like him. Verse 14, toward the mark or the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, the goal is the finish line. You keep your eye on the finish line. Where finishing the race is to receive the prize of fully identifying in Christ's glorious purity. Christ is the prize. Getting to that full perfection and sanctification is the goal. It's the place you're looking to get to. Christ is your prize. You could say, pursue Christ all your life. Kenneth West says it was Christ-likeness that Paul was pursuing after. A calling which is from heaven and to heaven. Charles Erdman says, He is seeking to grasp that for which he was grasped by Christ. But even the competition along the way, you see, is a, a glorious endeavor. Charles Erdman also says that Paul's running of a race is, quote, to illustrate this effort, he employs a figure drawn from the athletic games. As applied by Paul, it indicates something of the dignity of the Christian life. It implies not only the manliness 
and earnestness of such a life, but also its glory. To be a contestant in such games as the Olympic was an honor. To be a victor was to attain deathless fame. See, it might at first intimidate, oh, it's going to be a lot of work. No, it's a glorious thing to represent your nation, the kingdom of heaven in Christ. It's a glorious thing to run that race. It's a glorious, glorious thing. William Hendrickson says, The upward call that Paul talks about, the upward call of which the apostle here is speaking, was issued already in his conversion. It is the heavenward call. You could say the pilgrim's progress. A calling to holiness of life. It is we who must strive to enter in. God does not do this believing and striving for us. Now we know sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit. But notice again in the catechisms it says work, not an act. It's an ongoing working in us what he wills in growing in holiness, that we would work out ourselves in fear and trembling. We have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. You know, we could all say, well, why am I not growing? Well, what are you doing to grow? And in particular, what are you doing to grow in terms of grasping after something forward to attain it? It's not just killing the old self. It's putting on the new. Dennis Johnson writes this, Paul's point is that he is striving to seize the prize at the finish line because Christ already seized him at the start of his race. The encouragement, beloved, ultimately is you can't lose. But why not have more victory in the meantime? Why not have more of Christ in your life? Why not have more Christ-likeness as you pursue who you're going to be? Romans 8, verse 30. Your memory verse for tonight, with the shorter catechism. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Look forward to saying 2 Timothy 4 verse 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And keep perfecting toward perfection. The Bible often speaks about being perfect. The understanding broadly is we can't be perfect perfectly, but they talk about the idea of being complete, being perfect, striving towards being sanctified, more sanctified. Psalm 101, verse 2 and 6. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. Psalm 37, verse 37. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. Who is Jesus, the Prince of Peace? 
Paul calls us to follow his example in uh, learning to have peace in God, and we'll have that perfect peace that passeth all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's a blessing here. Seek to be a perfect man. More and more, the end of that will be peace, ultimately perfect peace in the end. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep the precept, thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed. When I have respect unto all thy commandments, I will praise thee with uh, uprightness of heart. When I shall have learned thy righteous judgments, I will keep thy statutes. O forsake me not utterly. And then later on in Psalm 119, verse 33, Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. And have that in view of what we're studying tonight. Running and running and running until the end. Yes! Yes! You won't regret all the striving along the way. Shoot for the stars, they say, and you might just hit the moon. Don't worry, you're not going to be perfect. Keep on perfecting yourself. And if you keep shooting, you're going to hit it more than once. You're going to hit it more often. And then you might hit a couple of stars. As you strive to be stars in this dark world. Because you have been definitively sanctified by Christ, make progress in your sanctification until heaven. Never stop killing the old man who likes to brag about stuff in the past. And never stop vivifying the new man who should always be looking to improve himself in Christ. Pursue perseverance until purified perfection. To the pure, all things are pure. The pure in heart shall see God. Dennis Johnson also writes this. If your thought life, this is a really, really important question to listen to. If your thought life, daily routine, spending practices, and interpersonal interactions were translated into Paul's athletic image, what would it look like? Are you running aimlessly? He asks. Is your pace hindered by backward glances toward bygone days or sideway glances at other runners? And I want to ask us that as a church, not only individuals. Are we concerned more to think about the way things used to be good old days? Are we concerned about all those running around us? Or are we looking ahead to where Jesus is leading us and striving after it to have him more and more in our church as well as in our hearts? We're not done. We're not done growing as a church. We'll never be done. We need to be striving after Christ. William Hendrickson shares a poem by Jay Oatman. I'd like to share with you in closing. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights 
I'm gaining every day. Still praying as onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's tableland, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Beloved, this is your song, your call to a more and more sanctified life in Christ until it is fully realized at his return. So strive, strain, pursue, reach out, Bring down, strive after total sanctification in your Savior. And that's the message again for you this evening. Strive, strive after total sanctification in your Savior. Let us pray that he helps us. Lord Jesus, we love you and we want more of you every day until the day of your return. And even now we cry, come Lord Jesus in the spirit, come quickly and let us quickly pursue after you. Just as the disciples, the apostles, when you said follow me, they got up immediately and followed. So let us continue to follow you in a sense of immediacy and your imminence. Lord, let us continue to strive after you not excusing ourselves to look at anything behind us, but looking ahead to you, Lord Jesus Christ, the prize, the author and finisher of our faith. Help us to enjoy more of you now in our hearts, in our lives. Help us to enjoy being identified more in our conscience and more by those watching us as Christians, those who bear the name of Christ and the Spirit of Christ in our lives. Help us to strive, O Lord, and help us to rest in heaven. We pray in your name, and all your runners said, Amen.